Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Penobscot Nation citizen Sage Phillips is instrumental in connecting a major East Coast university with its surrounding indigenous history and residents. Diné actor and filmmaker Ian Teller is helping boost skills and connections for other young artists. They're among the newest Champions for Change class, chosen by the Center for Native American Youth for their demonstrated leadership. We'll meet all five of this year's Champions for Change coming up after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Indian Country is celebrating the historic win of Golden Globe winner Lily Gladstone for Best Female Actor in a Motion Picture Drama for Killers of the Flower Moon. Osage News captured the excitement of a crowd gathered for an Osage Nation watch party in Oklahoma Sunday night. The room of people cheered as Gladstone's name was announced as they watched the televised awards ceremony. Gladstone thanked the Osage Nation in her acceptance speech, which she opened in the Blackfeet language. She paid tribute to her native language and talked about the importance of native languages in film. Among Gladstone's acknowledgments were to her fellow native actors, director Martin Scorsese and co-star Leonardo DiCaprio. She had a special message for native youth. This is for... Every little res kid, every little urban kid, every little native kid out there who has a dream, who is seeing themselves represented and our stories told by ourselves in our own words um, with tremendous allies and uh, tremendous trust from with and from each other. Gladstone was honored for her role as Osage woman Molly Burkhart in the film, which tells the story of the murder of Osage people in Oklahoma during the 1920s for oil money. Gladstone said to be the first Indigenous Best Actress Golden Globe Awards winner. In Alaska, the Anchorage Museum is no longer charging an admission fee for Alaska Native visitors. The new policy went into effect at the start of the year. Museum director Julie Decker says no proof of identity is required. Decker says the proposal was not controversial for the museum staff or the board. She points out that a significant portion of the museum's collections comes from Alaska's indigenous cultures. I think it's really a celebration of our place, of who we are. I think it's recognizing uh, the Alaskans and um, people who have made this their home for millennia. Michael Fredericks is Yupik and grew up in Anchorage. She says the museum's work to amplify indigenous identity attracted her. Specifically, it's very visible land acknowledgement on the building. When the signage went up on the on the side of the museums that says this is Danina Athlena, I was pretty blown away by that. The cultural affirmation prompted Fredericks to become a museum member for the first time and to begin to bring her son there. Now she chairs the museum's governing board. Fredericks, who owns a strategic consulting firm, says she's excited by the new admission policy. When she was growing up, she says her Yupik identity made her feel that she was other even in her own hometown. She did not feel the museum was meant for her. By, you know, giving Indigenous people free admission, it's not just about saying, hey, we're, we're eliminating the financial barrier to this place. It's saying, this is your place. 
you know, this is your place. You should, you come in and make this your place even more. The free admission applies to general entry. Alaska Native visitors still have to pay for special events, workshops, and classes. The Navajo Nation is objecting to NASA and a private company's rocket launch to the moon, carrying human remains. The spacecraft launched from Florida Monday. The Navajo Nation says the moon is sacred and the placement of human remains on the moon is desecration. President Boone Nigren says even though they're opposed to this moon journey, the tribe is not opposed to science or space exploration, but he's calling for tribal consultation. Nigren says he laid out the tribe's concerns with a last-minute meeting with the White House and some federal agencies on Friday. The rocket is scheduled to land on the moon next month. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Skugtash, support by Ramona Farms. For over 40 years, Ramona's American Indian Foods has revived tepary beans, panoli, traditional wheat flowers, and more. Delivery for your holiday gatherings, available on orders placed at store.ramonafarms.com. Domnyot. Does your club, institution, or other group need custom-branded apparel? A wide variety of T-shirts, hoodies, and much more, all custom-printed or embroidered, are available from nativescreenprinting.com, a division of Skyscreen Printing who support this program. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling, your National Humanities medal-winning radio show and podcast. Each generation has its own challenges and fresh ideas for solutions. The five members of this year's Champions for Change, an initiative from the Center for Native American Youth, have already demonstrated a drive for those solutions. They have big plans to bring green energy to Native communities, change narratives and media, engage urban Native youth, protect tribal sovereignty, and strengthen cultural ties. We'll meet these young people and learn more about what motivates them to work for their communities. You can join us too. What advice can you offer young leaders about what it takes to be an agent of change in Native America today? Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Our five guests today span the entire continent from coast to coast. First, we have from Salee, Arizona, Ian Teller. He's an aspiring entertainment entrepreneur. He is Dene. Hello, Ian. Welcome to the show. Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Speaking with us from Portland, Oregon, is Jada Deserni, an enrolled member of the Confederated Tribes of Siletz and also program manager for Multnomah Education Service District. Hello, Jada. How are you doing? Hello. I'm doing well. Thank you. Wonderful to hear that, Jada. On the line in Stores, Connecticut, we have Sage Phillips. She's a graduate assistant at the University of Connecticut's Native American Cultural Programs and a citizen of the Penobscot Nation. Hello, Sage. Great to have you on the air. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. 
In Anchorage, Alaska, we have Taylor Donganick Higgins. She's a student at the University of Alaska Anchorage. She's also a Soldovia Village tribal member and a Cook Inlet Region Corporation shareholder. Good morning, Taylor. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm doing good. How are you? Thank you for I'm, having us. You bet. I'm doing wonderful. And joining us from Eagle Butte, South Dakota, is Wombly Quintana. He's a senior at Dupree High School, and he is Cheyenne River Sioux and a member of the Navajo Nation. Hello, Wombly. Welcome to our show. Awam Great to be here. It is great to have you, all of you, in fact. I just want to give a big congratulations to all of our Champions for Change who have joined us today. Jade, I want to go ahead and begin with you, and, and let's hear about your efforts to improve education access and outcomes, particularly for urban Native youth. What led you down this path? Awesome. Thank you so much. I think um, what led me down this path is go growing up in kind of an urban city then and realizing that I didn't have as much access to culture as some of my peers. And so I was first brought to this um, in Portland Public Schools as an Indian education success, student success advocate and um, through interacting with the students, the high school students, the middle school students, I heard that they were really missing their culture and they were really missing not feeling like they belonged in the school system and not seeing teachers that looked like them and not seeing posters that looked like them. And it really hurt my heart. And so I set out to bring visibility to from our students. And that really started with a poster campaign where I brought an indigenous um, reporter and professional photographer who were able to take pictures of our students. And the posters were distributed to all of the Portland public schools and hung up in the main offices for our students to be seen and highlighted. Wonderful. Now, Jada, in addition to this cultural awareness campaign that you helped launch, you're also working in the health and wellness field. How does that merge with this interest in, in urban Native populations? Yes, I, I am right now a youth delegate with the Northwest Portland Area Indian Health Board and do a lot of work with them and their We Are Native campaign as well. Um, these two merge, I think, um, through culture. Um, I also think they merge through centering Native youth voice and highlighting our youth as knowledge keepers and really just showing that our youth have so much knowledge that can be brought to um, all the different areas. I think health and wellness is really important because um, we don't see a lot of our Native values in Western medicine. And so being able to provide different uh, curricula and programs and um, health resources for Native youth that were um, developed specifically and only for them, I think is really important because we don't see that when we go in the doctor's office. We don't see our face. We don't see our cultural teachings. Um, and now we have an opportunity um, to be able to go into the nurse's office in a Portland public school and see these um, posters that were made specifically for our Native youth. And I think that really um, just shows another um, level of visibility for our students. And Jada, what are you hearing from these Native youth that see these posters and are involved with this whole campaign? Are they happy with what you folks have accomplished so far? 
I think I think they are just overjoyed. I think um, I was walking with them with a class one time, and only one of the students were on the poster, and we walked by, and um, what, someone said, "Hey, look, that's you. That's that's you." And I was like looking, waiting to hear what the student said because they were a little nervous. They were they were like, "You want me to be on a poster? You want me to take?" I don't like taking pictures. I don't like being in front of the camera. And it can be a little nervous seeing, being um, put on a poster in front of your whole class. But they were overjoyed. They were uplifted, and they were seen, and their, and their peers were so happy for them. They were like, "You, this is you. You are here. Like, <laughs> I never knew you were Native. And that was, that was, you know, all the hard work to put the posters in the schools. That's what made it worth it. Oh, geez, Jada, this just sounds so, so wonderful, so inspiring. And then in addition to all this work you're doing there with the community, uh, you're an athlete. You uh, competed in track and field in college, and now you're coaching at the high school level. How do you manage all these different skills and all these goals? And and tell us about how, how sports play into everything. Yes, I I um, did track and field in high school and college. I threw the hammer and the discus at Willamette University, and um, it was really fun. I think athletics is um, such a fun area and new area to be in. Um, it is hard. <laughs> it is hard to balance all all the athletics, the scholarship, the work life, um, especially being a first generation college graduate. I didn't really have, didn't feel like I had a lot of people to go to that would be able to understand my circumstance. Um, but I think one thing, you just have to find your community. You have to find people who are able to have your back to be able to support you. And you also have to be comfortable with asking for help. I think it is, um, I'm very prideful and I feel like I can take on the world by myself. But one thing that has really helped me is being able to know who is in my corner and also how I can count on them in the different ways that they can help me. And I also um, just want to say, like, prioritizing your mental health. You can't give anything if your cup is empty. And so you have to always make sure that your cup is at least half full, if not fully full. And um, I think those are some ways that I have definitely gotten through and learned. Jade, I'm really happy that you're emphasizing the importance of of mental health as well, because I know that's... uh, easy to neglect. And I know uh, all of us, uh, young people included, definitely need to keep that in mind at all times. So congratulations again, Jada. Really appreciate just how much you are doing uh, to serve uh, Native communities there in the Portland area and elsewhere. Let's move on to Ian now. And Ian, again, is an aspiring entertainment entrepreneur. And Ian, like Jada, you have a lot going on. You're an actor, you're a writer, a producer. When did you realize you had a passion for the performing arts? Well, thank you um, again, and it's good to be here. Um, I think my interest in the performing arts began from a pretty early age. Um, I remember some of my core memories as a, as a child were those moments when I would stay up late and I would stay up late with my father and we would be watching, you know, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon and I got to see all of these amazing, incredible people who were just sharing so many stories and a lot of the times they were sharing stories about the incredible projects that they were working on and the things that they were showcasing and I just always felt so motivated and interested in by that. 
Um, and so that just made me want to get into it. And then the more that I grew up, um, uh, I had a lot of family members who are uh, actively pursuing careers in the performing arts. You know, I have an aunt who sings. I have an uncle who does comedy, native comedy. And so watching their journeys kind of motivated me to get into into the business and, you know, find skills that could help, you know, amplify their their journeys and, you know, do my part to make Native people more visible in that area. Ian, another interesting note on your resume, you participated in the Warner Brothers Early Career Access Boot Camp. Tell us about that. We've got about a minute before we have to break, but at least get started. What skills or knowledge came out of that experience for you? Oh my gosh, that was such an amazing experience. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I, it was in partnership with the um, the organization Illuminative, and um, just being in that space, there was about six of us, or six of us Native students who were chosen to be a part of that cohort, um, alongside another a number of other organizations, and we just picked up so many skills about behind the scenes business. Uh, business aspect, uh, aspects of the uh, film industry. And then uh, also, you know, there was actually a lot of panels of different, um, you know, writers, producers. We got to kind of get insight and hands-on experience with individuals from all parts of the industry. So it was really incredible. Sounds like it, Ian. We are celebrating our five champions for change this year. This is an initiative from the Center for Native American Youth. And if you'd like to talk to one of our champions for change, or you'd just like to give one of them a shout out, our phone lines are open, 1-800-996-2848. Give us a call. Are you on the fence, wondering whether to spend money fixing up your current car, or are you thinking about trading it in for a newer war pony? A vehicle is many people's second biggest purchase after their house. We'll take a look at what you need to know about buying and maintaining your vehicle on the next Native America Calling. Are you a Native American health care provider, recovery counselor, social worker, domestic and sexual abuse advocate, or traditional healer working in Native American communities? Dr. Ruby Gibson will begin an advanced immersion in healing historical trauma. This online master class in somatic archaeology uses the lens of a seven-generational recovery approach providing powerful modalities and is offered tuition-free to tribal members. Registration deadline is March 1st. Info at freedomlodge.org who support this show. You are listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking with some young Native leaders today, and there's a good chance you'll be hearing a lot more from them in the future. Do you have advice for what it takes to be a Native leader? Join this conversation, 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We've got Ian Teller on the line right now, an aspiring entertainment entrepreneur. He's in Salie, Arizona. He is a champion for change. And Ian, before break, you were sharing this experience. You went to the Warner Brothers Early Career Access. And just some of these other issues. And, and I'm curious, did you learn anything um, that you didn't know, that you were just completely surprised at? Wow, I had no idea that 
this issue was so important uh, if somebody has a career in the entertainment industry? I'm sorry. I I missed your question. I kind of cut out there for a little bit. Oh, no problem. I was just wondering, at at the boot camp you went to, the Warner Brothers boot camp, did you learn anything that you just had no idea was an important issue about an entertainment career from that experience? Um, let's see. I think, I think the, the level of the complexity behind the scenes, um, that goes on for making films. I mean, of course we, as consumers, we just love to watch the films and we enjoy it and, you know, that whole process. But behind the scenes, there's just so many moving parts, so many aspects, so many jobs and so many people behind the scenes who, having a numerous jobs who are in charge of different things that make these movies successful and these films successful. And I think, you know, just being in that space and then recognizing that, um, the, the few native people that are involved in that process was really interesting because, you know, especially when there's so many films about native stories or native that have native aspects to it. Um, the fact that there weren't many Native peoples a part of that process was really interesting. So I thought that the experience, you know, having us been there, having us be there and having Aruba Native bring us on was a really good step in the right direction of getting our insights. That does sound really interesting, really valuable experience as well, Ian. And in addition to acting and uh, producing, you're also a musician, so tell us a little bit about that, and how does that creative outlet compare to acting or making films? Well, I, I'm, I wouldn't, I, I'm actually not a musician, but I, I have a music industry degree. That's where I got my master's, and I went to attend the University of Southern California. I'm not necessarily a musician, but um, uh, what I, my, my, uh, introduction into the industry is through my my aunt and so a lot of the things that i do are from a business standpoint so you know management um being an agent things like that that's those are areas that i'm more familiar with handling uh, artist copyright and things like that and making sure and ensuring that um artists are not taken advantage of that's kind of where i enter the music industry all right thank you for that clarification ian and in addition to this work uh, in the entertainment industry, you're also a teaching assistant at Diné College, and we were talking a little bit before the show started about uh, one of the courses you're going to teach uh, this spring, in fact, an English course. So, um, geez, how do you manage it all, and what advice can you offer other young people who just have a lot on their plate right now? Yeah, no, I, it is really intimidating, especially because I am so young and I, I'm just fresh out of college and you know I pretty much did my whole college undergraduate career and then my master's program fairly quickly and so entering work has been hard and challenging um, especially because you know with the SAG strike and then uh, with the writer's strike it was really hard to find work in the industry so I was able to find a cool little side hustle for now um, but I, I, I really enjoyed it and I, I really like teaching and being in that space and helping Native youth and helping them with their, their personal academic journeys. Um, and, you know, juggling it all, I think, just comes down to having priorities and then 
ensuring that, you know, you make the best use of your time. And I, I would say when you're as passionate about something, you know, give it your all and, you know, don't second guess yourself. You know, even if times are not picking up the way they want for you, the way you want it to, and if things are, you know, a little slow, um, just give it time and trust, trust the process and trust yourself and trust your skills and abilities to make it work. All right, Ian. Well, always good to have that cool little side hustle, as you mentioned. And congratulations again uh, for being recognized as a champion for change. Let's take our first caller of the day, Savannah, who is listening online in Salem, Oregon. Hello, Savannah. Hi. How are you doing, Um, Savannah? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. I understand you want to give a shout out to Jada. Yes, I just want to shout out Jada. We are from the same tribe, and she has done such incredible work over here, especially like with the closet. We do that together. And so she designs a ton of the pieces that we make for our Regalia Borrow closet. So it's to make Regalia more accessible so people can partake in culture. So I'm super proud of her. And she is first gen, like the first person in her family to graduate from college like came from a low income background. So, um, I know a lot of us can relate to that. So you can do anything if you're listening. All right, Savannah, thank you for that call. And and Jada, feel free to respond to your friend Savannah on the air. Yes. Thank you, Savannah. Savannah is also a co-founder of the Celeste Regalia sharing co-op and it's just an amazing partner. I mean, we're cousins. We were best friends, and then we found out we were cousins, as you do on the res. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, like Savannah said, it's, we're really trying to eliminate all the barriers to access culture, and um, we believe if youth and even adults, we have some adult-sized clothing, um, if they want to dance, then we should be able to um, let them dance and um, not having the ability to create their own regalia shouldn't be a barrier. And so we've traveled to a couple different powwows, U of O, Select, um, and looking to just go to more this upcoming school year. Well, it sounds like you two are just really, really up and down there in the Portland area, Pacific Northwest, just doing a lot. So good call there. That was Savannah listening online in Salem, Oregon. If you would like to talk to one of our champions for change, we Lines open. What are you waiting for? 1-800-996-2848. Say hello. Give them a shout out. Ask a question. 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's move on now to Sage Phillips. She is a graduate assistant at the University of Connecticut's Native American Cultural Programs, and she's also a citizen of the Penobscot Nation. Sage, I want to thank you again for joining us. Congratulations on being a champion for change. And uh, let's talk a little bit about this research that you're conducting on the University of Connecticut's land-grant status and its responsibilities to Native students. How did that come about? Thank you so much. Great to be here. Yeah, um, it was heavily, in fact, fully inspired by landgrabu.org. And the way it came about was we were trying to reckon with Yukon's colonial past and present. And we wanted the university to confront that for itself. And we really needed an educational tool. Um, I was doing advocacy work and trying to really jump like 10 steps ahead and instead had a mentor sit down with me and say, Let, you know, we need to try to create a tool where the university can 
understand its past and its present for itself in order to then be able to create more resources and supports for Native youth to be successful at this university. So um, there were a couple barriers in launching Land Grab CT. For one, the COVID-19 pandemic hit a few weeks after we received the grant to conduct this research. So it was conducted fully online over Zoom, and then we launched it um, on Indigenous Peoples Day in 2021. But we've had resounding um, support and feedback come from after the launch of that project. And we are now seeing UConn create more support in order to make Native youth here successful. So it's really been impactful for our Native community at UConn. That sounds great, Sage. Well, tell us a little bit more about these new supports that the University of Connecticut has undertaken. Are they like uh, opportunities for students to get more academic assistance or is it counseling? Is it like more of a, a cultural awareness? What's going on? Yeah, so when I arrived at UConn in the fall of 2018 as a freshman, the Native American cultural program sat in a storage closet on the fourth floor of our student union. And surrounding that storage closet were five robust cultural centers. And they all have, you know, directors, assistant directors, lots of student staff, community spaces. And we had myself as an undergraduate student and a graduate assistant at the time with no Native students involved. They couldn't find us. We weren't visible to campus. Most of the campus didn't know we even existed. And so these new supports that are coming in, um, we have developed a youth mentorship program where we mentor um, local middle school and high school youth who are interested in Native and Indigenous issues. University has shown quite positive support for that. We also have a new peer mentorship program. So first year and transfer Indigenous students can be partnered up for the academic year with one of our current Indigenous students, just helping them along their journey to make sure that they have a successful experience. We also have had a cluster hire of Indigenous faculty happen, which when I was a freshman, we didn't have any Indigenous faculty at the Stores campus. So those are just a few things that the university has now helped us um, develop and shape and we can see that they're starting to understand that they need to have a commitment to our future generation. Those sound like big strides, Sage. Congratulations. And uh, Thank you. a storage closet. That's where the Native yeah. American Cultural Center was. So good job. Good job, Sage, uh, for you and everyone else there. That's. I, I'm curious about how many Native students are there at the University of Connecticut Stores campus? Yeah, you know, there's still probably about, I would say... 40 to 50, but that only counts those students who check that American Indian Alaska Native box. It doesn't account for the Indigenous students who don't feel that those titles are representative of them. And so the biggest thing is that not only are we out of that storage closet, we're in this new space, but we have students who are involved in NACP. Um, those students aren't just out and about. We're not, you know, we're not struggling to find the students anymore. They're now seeing that they have a space where they can be safe and feel welcome and develop their own research and initiatives. So the involvement part has really grown since I started at UConn. Now, Sage, have you experienced any pushback? Because as we all know, right now in the United States, especially on, on different college campuses, there are some folks that are, you know, pushing more for this, like, traditional American patriotic narrative, and, and they're hesitant, and they're pushing back against 
cultural representation. They're pushing back against some of this history, indigenous history, perhaps. Have you experienced that, any of that on campus? Um, I would say early on in my advocacy, for sure. I, you know, I was a team of one for a little while there, and it was hard to just be one voice at this huge campus trying to spread awareness for Native and Indigenous histories, cultures, and issues. Um, and so a little bit in the beginning, but now that we've created a community and a team and we're showing up and creating awareness, people, and we have used Land Grab CT to sort of leverage that awareness, people are now learning, um, and that's made all the difference. They're becoming educated about this institution's past with Indigenous peoples. And so not so much anymore. I think, you know, Land Grab CT got nothing but positive feedback. And that meant the world to us. And so we're just, we push forward. All right. And Sage, how do you see yourself uh, using these skills, using these connections uh, when you move on and, and start your career and uh, go to that next level? How's this all going to interweave and, and work together to, to further your career? Yeah, not only have I, you know, been able to understand just how Native youth are, are and were struggling to access Yukon. But now that I've started doing this research and developing my understanding more, it's, you know, certainly clear that Yukon's not the only place that needs, you know, to build more of these supports and resources for Indigenous students. So, you know, my hope career-wise is that I can kind of do this on a more national level. And there's plenty of land-grant institutions out there, as we know. And so, I hope that I can use my voice to kind of do some of this work there and maybe expand land grab CT further. Sounds like a great idea, Sage, and you're right about that. There are a lot of land grant institutions out there and, and a lot of need for the type of work yeah. that you've undertaken. So keep it up, Sage. Keep it up, please. Thank and congratulations. You. All righty. Thank you so much. You bet. Let's hear now from Taylor Higgins, who is in Anchorage, Alaska, student at the University of Alaska, Anchorage. Taylor, I want to thank you again for joining our show. And uh, you are still a student and, and listening to your co-champions for change. What are some of the issues that are attracting your attention there in Alaska and elsewhere? Yes, it was really good to hear their stories and, like, the work that they do. Um, yeah, growing up in Anchorage, Alaska, as an urban Native youth, I really related to, to, to Jada and what she had to say about, like, growing up and not seeing representation of your community and your people um, in public schools in urban uh, cities. So I really appreciate what she said. Um, and, yeah, like, I do kind of my work. My work is kind of everywhere, and I'm really, like, happy that it is. I think it's really it's needed and it's really kind of cool to see my passions expand and being an ally for my friends who live in different communities in Alaska and just uplifting their voices. Um, it's so important. And, um, yeah, growing up in Anchorage, like I come from East Anchorage, Alaska and, um, I'm a second generation urban native youth. And so, um, yeah, it was just, it's, it's crazy. You know, my coming from the most diverse community in Alaska, um, where I come from East Anchorage, Growing up, like, there was a lot of issues and pushback um, for, like, representation and in the public schools. And it was really hard, you know, and, like, people would kind of label you, put, put you in a box and, like, you know, especially as Native youth. And it was really, like, uncomfortable and it was kind of 
we didn't really deserve that as young Native people because we were young, we were kids. And so just growing up, I've always, like, wanted change. I was like, I'm going to do something about this. And my mother taught me so much, and I'm so, so thankful for all of her knowledge. And just growing up in such a supportive community where I've always been surrounded by people who wanted to teach me and give me their lived experiences and knowledge. So I'm just so immensely thankful for that. Um, yeah, and my work, like, growing up, you know, being a first-generation college student as well, it's definitely interesting. I love having, like, you know, going to school and, like, changing the stigma as well in, in my homeland, but it definitely is it's confusing as well, and I feel like it's, I'm in this cycle of, like, just trying to change those narratives that they put us in, especially as Native people, you know, having pushing for um, more representation on school boards and um, so many more things, right? And so just something I'm excited to learn with CNA is just gaining more knowledge and learning with these new friends of mine. Because um, I definitely am young, I'm 20, so it's just really inspiring to hear what they have gone through and what I can learn and take away with CNA. All right. More with Taylor Higgins after this break. Support by the Intertribal Agriculture Council. Have you or someone you know experienced discrimination in USDA lending programs before January 1st, 2021? The USDA Discrimination Financial Assistance Program, DFAP, is a limited one-time program to provide financial support to ranchers, farmers, and forest landowners discriminated against by USDA lending programs. Interested producers must apply by January 13th. More info and application assistance at indianag.org. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce, and we're talking with this year's class of Champions for Change, a group of young Native leaders and advocates like Taylor Higgins, who's on the line now in Anchorage, Alaska. Give us a call if you'd like to talk with Taylor or one of our other guests today. We're at 1-800-996-2848. And let's go ahead and take our second caller now, Chanupa, who's listening in Pine Ridge, South Dakota, on Keeley Radio. Hello, Chanupa. Hey, how y'all doing? Listen, um, the lady that's speaking about being chosen for a young advocate and um, what they got you know, a position for, I want to say thank you to her. And keep in mind, the most definite thing that when you're choosing to do something to lead our youth back then, because I led my people when I was at the age of uh, 19 or 20, okay? So here on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, I'm the guy, and it's still recorded in our, our dialogue, that I push for the language to be taught in the public schools here on the reservation. So by doing that, we always say this understanding in um, our native language. They say, So these five individuals that are doing this honor, I want to give them a great, great, great shout-out and honor. Ben. And you too, Sean, for all the work you do for us by getting us told. And so my prayers go out to them to continue that work and do something productive for our youth for future understanding. Wofila from the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Aho! Prayers to you as well, Chanupa. Really appreciate you calling in today and giving a shout-out to our Champions for Change. And... Taylor Higgins, student at the University of Alaska, Anchorage. Taylor, 
We just heard from Chanupa. He's a regular caller. He's in Pine Ridge, South Dakota, and he talks a little bit about some of the experiences that he's lived through there in Pine Ridge and South Dakota. And I'm interested in hearing more from you about Alaska, because we have listeners from all over the country and some of whom have never been to Alaska. Uh, What are some of the most pressing issues that you're focusing on there in Alaska? And how are they unique to what's going on in the rest of the world and the other parts of Native America? Yeah, so um, I do work in climate change as well, climate justice, and I have so many friends who, like, especially from Anchorage, like my friend Charity Rapati, she's an amazing advocate, and she inspires me all the time. Um, And, you know, protecting our Arctic and our resources in Alaska is definitely one of my priorities, especially as a young person with a voice, Um, and just uplifting my friends who who live in rural Alaska and have, you know... um, ties to these lands and i just don't want to hurt our land anymore especially because global warming is already such a big issue um you know and in alaska growing especially in anchorage we have like a lot of like issues right now one of my focuses right now are just uplifting and finding ways to support our homeless population in alaska especially in anchorage Um, we have a lot of our relatives and friends and um you know families on you know some of them are struggling with homelessness and you know, being able to have the opportunity to talk with, like, our senators, like Lisa Murkowski, and, you know, um, just in having and giving a voice for them um, is important to me. And I think that it's, like, they are our family, right? And it's just, like, um, finding ways what I can do to help uplift them and, like, uh, find ways to, um, right now I want to focus on um, what I can do to help support, like, affordable housing across Alaska. We have, um, I ha- my under my corporation, Siri, we have a cook in the housing authority and that um, builds like affordable housing for uh, indigenous people. And so like finding ways we can do to expand that across Alaska and in rural areas is one of my main focuses right now. Um, Yeah. And so just uplifting our youth, we have so many youth um, rural and urban and just uplifting, uplifting all of them and supporting their dreams and goals and um, learning from my elders and leaders around me and my family um, is definitely something that I'm very, very grateful that I grew up with and closer to, um, especially in Alaska. So I'm really excited to share more and, um, yeah, share more with my friends, Champions for Change. Taylor, one more question. Was there a moment in your academic journey, either there at the University of Alaska or maybe even in high school, when you realized you had a, a special or unique skill that was really needed, really important to Native people? Yeah, I always knew, like, I had a voice, right? Like, when I was young, I started doing this work when I was, like, 16, 17. Um, And I've always, like, I call myself an advocate, but I don't really like that term because I think we as Native people are always advocates. It's in our blood. Like, this is what our ancestors have done. And so with the strength of my ancestors, I've always been connected and being the youngest one in my family who's being first-generation college student first-generation, like, so many things, high school graduate, um, and leading my young nieces and nephews, like, I've always knew I've had that, like, skill inside me to, like, speak on things that others don't really speak up on, and, um, you know, that was always something I've I've admired about myself, Um, and so, you know, when I started working with, like, Cook and the Tribal Council, which is a nonprofit in my community, and I'm now chairing the Youth Advisory Council on that, Um, And just, like, leading other young people and showing them that they have a voice, too, and not to be afraid to use it. Um, Because growing up, I was kind of shy, but I was like, 
I can't be shy, you know, like I'm native, I can't, you know, <laughs> I'm, uh, and so <laughs> I just really, um, you know, I really embraced my voice and really, I found it and I'm so thankful for those who've led me, my friends, my family, um, and just myself, you know, it can be hard and it can be draining. So like Jada said, just taking time for yourself and like making sure you get rest and like give yourself a pat on the back sometimes because it can go over your head, all of the hard work and just like um, reminding that our young people are strong and they have a voice too and to not be afraid to use it. All right. And that's tough sometimes, Taylor, to, to use that voice. And uh, I really applaud you and our other guests today who have who have that strength and have that confidence to speak up and uh, have your voices heard because uh, it's something that, that takes time and, and not everybody's cut out to do that. So congratulations again, Taylor. And with that, let's bring Wombly into our conversation now. Wombly Quintana, he's up in Eagle Butte, South Dakota. He's a high school student, Dupree High School, and he is Cheyenne River Sioux, and he's also a member of the Navajo Nation. And Wombly, thank you again for joining us. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing wonderful. Um, getting to hear my fellow champion stories is really uplifting, getting to see that the work is being done for a prosperous future for all of us. Absolutely. And let's hear more about your story, Wombly. You're also a student. You're studying engineering. What inspires you most about science and technology? Uh, what inspires me most is the limitless possibilities that are yet to come. Uh, with science, you know, comes discovery, and with discovery comes uh, making history. And making history for our people is, you know, just everything that I'm about. To create this positive change is more than more than enough for me. It's a great privilege and a great honor to represent my people and us as Native individuals. And Wobbly, what excites you most about the, the future of science and technology? The world is changing so quickly. What excites me the most is the solutions that are currently being come up with uh, to allow more sustainability in our uh, lands and our reservations to keep the beauty preserved and, you know, to keep our... Um, our ecosystem basically alive and healthy for the next generations to come because uh, yeah, who, whose decision is it to take away this great privilege that we all have to enjoy the nature around us every day? No one's decision is, is what it is. What we should be doing is protecting our ecosystem, our, our land, our home for these next generations to come. And to do that, it's embracing a selfless and to be really doing the work of the people. And was, what is it about technology uh, in the application of the environment and creating sustainable futures? What is it about technology you think that really uh, has a solution that you think you're one of the people that's going to be able to, to implement that solution? Well, I would say the energy solutions that are currently being come up with uh, have definitely taken an interest of mine. Uh, just seeing the effects of solar and uh, nuclear energy has really uh, you know, opened my mind to the ways that we can power our communities in a more healthful way than uh, fossil fuels and other uh, contaminant-heavy uh, energy sources, along with the fact of this um, I want to say infrastructure uh, that can be improved within our native communities because I know uh, around here in the Cheyenne River Sioux tribe, we definitely have our fair share of terrible roads 
So improving infrastructure to help bridge our communities together in a more safe way is definitely a uh, great technology that's you know, already being uh, improved upon uh, every day. And Wombly, the people in your community, tribal leaders, uh, other people there working and living, what's the feedback you get from those folks when, when you share? I mean, you just sound wise beyond your years. I mean, you're a high school student and you've, just, you've, got, you've got some really good ideas and you're so articulate. What do folks say? Well, I definitely get that comment a lot. Um, it's really about uh, my experiences, and when I get to talk about these experiences that I've had along with the ideas that are, you know, forming in my mind all the time, uh, general feedback is just, like, positive. Um, it, I want to say it's, like, uplifting. Like, getting to know your tribal leaders is definitely a big step in, you know, providing change in your community. And every time I get to talk to these leaders and these um uh, the people that are yeah, deciding our everyday uh, motions, it really is great to hear that they say they are inspired by my words by also saying that they're inspired by what the youth are coming up with. And uh, knowing that my words are sh shedding positive light within our uh, youth capabilities is more than, uh, more than enough to keep me going because I really do believe that the key to our future, um, to having it safe for the next generations to come, is within our youth itself. And getting to know that you know people and programs like this exist, including the radio show that I, that you know that we're on, um, it really is impactful. Because not only are you helping our people by spreading this information, but you're helping our youth uh, to show them that we are you know that we're necessary, that we're needed, and that. Mm -hmm. You know, there's uh, there's a place for everyone, and uh, everyone has, uh, I want to say, everyone's loved is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, Wombly, appreciate you uh, giving a shout out to our show here in Native America Calling, and also good to know that, that folks really appreciate and, and value the perspectives of young people. And I want to ask you, Wombly, because I... We do a lot of shows here. We talk with elders. We talk with middle-aged folks. We talk with youth such as yourselves. And, and how is your generation, do you think, different from previous generations of Native people? And, and what is it about your generation you think that is going to be able to solve some of these problems going forward that we all face? I definitely think that the thing that sticks out with my generation is our perseverance. Uh, there's been many hardships that have been thrown, you know, at our generation with the whole COVID-19, the uh, global warming epidemic that's going on, along with uh, light shedding onto um, just bad politics in general. It could be a real hostile environment to raise your children and uh, to raise the future generations. But that's where our generation is kind of um, holding out is our strong perseverance to get through this to make a better future for tomorrow. Um, one thing I like saying to my friends is I want to make a place where our, you know, our grandchildren can be proud of. And it's just kind of like an everyday uh, battle, and I'm proud to be uh, fighting uh, this battle. Well, you're really looking ahead to the future. They're already thinking about uh, grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And what about the, the more near-term future, Wombly? What are your plans after graduation this spring? Well, after graduation, I plan on 
uh, pursuing a degree in environmental engineering uh, along with a little bit of civil engineering to help uh, further my knowledge to come up with solutions that I can implement on my reservation, but hopefully that this, um, you know, that my experiences can not only do it for my reservation, but inspire change on other reservations to have this sustainable mindset for our uh, next generation. And with that, it's also, you know, keeping involved with our uh, native community. I plan to continue to stay involved with local programs, but also to stay involved with my uh, champions, because I really do, uh, feel like their work is just as important as everyone else's work and getting to know updates and how they combated uh, different problems and getting to hear the solutions is a great mindset to have. Uh, one of the great things I like to do is surround myself with uh, people smarter than me so that way I can kind of gain that little smartness back. So um, definitely what I'm planning to do is to just further my knowledge. What schools are you looking at next year at Wembley? Um, some schools I'm looking at are either I, I have applied for and got accepted to the South Dakota State School of Mines. Um, getting to talk with their people uh, has been a, definitely a good experience, knowing that they have a great program there, uh, the Teoshpe Scholars Program, which helps Native American youth continue their uh, degrees and to stay uh, involved with their uh, academic success and their academic career. Um, Another school I was looking into was the ASU for their, I think it was the Ira Holton program, and that would be with the uh, environmental engineering. Um, and then just one final throw in um, to, <laughs> to let a young guy like me dream is I also applied to Stanford to try and uh, get into their, uh, sustain their sustainability program and to try and you know, further my knowledge with environmental engineering. Well, there you go, Wombly. Uh, wish you all the success and all the happiness uh, in, in the years to come, and uh, hope you go to the school that's the best fit for you. want to thank all of our guests today who joined us, and, and again, congratulate our five champions of change, Wombly Quintana, Jada Deserni, Sage Phillips, Ian Teller, and Taylor Higgins. Hope you'll join us here on Native America Calling again tomorrow. We'll offer some tips and tricks to keep in mind as you're looking to purchase or perhaps fix up your vehicle. We're talking about car buying tomorrow. Hope you'll tune in. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Pursuing a degree in higher education is attainable, and with a scholarship from Native Forward Scholars Fund, it is more affordable. From aerospace to veterinary medicine, as the largest direct scholarship provider to Native students in the U.S., Native Forward has empowered over 22,000 students from over 500 tribes in all 50 states in pursuit of their undergraduate, graduate, and professional degrees. Info and applications at nativeforward.org, who support this show. Happy New Year. Now is a great time to start new habits that will keep you healthy. Eating right, getting plenty of exercise, and enough sleep are key to a healthy lifestyle. Talk with your health care provider about changes you can make to let the new year be one of your best years. For more information, contact your Indian health care provider or visit healthcare.gov. A message from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Oh, hechetuelo. 
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.